And you ba- you're back on equal footing. We're a little challenged telephonically or uh, logistically this evening. I'm not in studio. We have three wonderful guests that are all connected by telephone. So hopefully, the uh, the connection will will work. We've got. Uh, let me introduce our guests first of all, because the topic tonight is a very difficult one. Some would argue it is one of the most challenging topics as it relates to. Halachic Judaism, that is, Judaism that attempts to follow original halacha, Jewish law, that comes both from the written Torah as well as from the oral Torah, the uh, Talmud, uh, the Midrash, etc. It is the topic of homosexuality. Tonight's show, The Halacha of Homosexuality, tackles the question of whether, as observant Jews today, we can reconcile either our own or loved ones' gay lives with an observant Jewish life. It's a question that we touched on last week to some degree. We touched on it from the perspective of lesbian life from within the Orthodox community. Next week, we're going to look at this perspective from the lived experience angle as men that are practicing a homosexual life, a gay life. But sandwiched in between these two episodes that tackle this from a communal and a experienced, lived experience perspective, we want to take a step back somewhat artificially and separate ourselves from the lived experience and talk about this from a theoretical ethical perspective, from a halachic perspective. It's difficult to do. We're all tempted to immediately insert questions of nature versus nurture, questions of hating the sin but loving the sinner, questions of, you know, whether we can embody and we can hold space for condemning behavior on the one hand and loving our neighbor on the other. And so I know it's difficult to do, but I think it's important that we take a moment and look at this strictly from through the prism of halacha, through the prism of Jewish law, because this is often looked at as a closed and shut issue. Yet homosexuality is prohibited, full stop, nothing else to discuss. But is it? Is it so open and shut? Maybe not. Our three guests I've teased at the introduction. Let me dive in. Miriam Kabakov. Miriam is on the line with us. She's a national leader who has worked for more than three decades on the inclusion of LGBTQ plus individuals in the Orthodox world. She's executive director and co-founder of Eshel. Eshel is an organization that we heard about a little bit on last week's program, the national organization that's, that supports gay and queer individuals in the Orthodox community as well as their families. Prior to being a leader at Eshel, Miriam was the New York and National Program Director of Avoda, the, the Jewish uh, service course. She was also Director of LGBT Programming at JCC Manhattan. She's been a social worker at the Westside Federation for Senior Supportive Housing. 
She's been, she's, uh, has many different accolades in social work. She has a master's in social work from the Wurzweiler School of Social Work. She's also worked on fundraising and programming evaluation at various uh, universities, and she has a background in Jewish education from Brandeis University. And Miriam, my parents went to Brandeis, special fondness for that institution. Miriam founded the New York Orthodikes. It's a support group for lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Orthodox women. And uh, she has a collection of writings about the challenges of joy and joys of being an LBT Orthodox uh, Jew called Keep Your Wives Away From Them, Orthodox Women, Unorthodox Desires, published by North Atlantic Books in 2010. Miriam is the winner uh, from that publication of the Golden Crown Literary Award. Miriam, we know about Eshel. I honor you for the work you're doing in the community. Welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks. Good to be here. Okay, well, hopefully we'll work out the, the uh, technical difficulties here. Uh, I want to introduce uh, Hannah Stein. Uh, Hannah is also joining us tel- uh, by telephone. She was born in Israel, immigrated to the United States at five years old. Hannah's family was filled with family, friends, and a multitude of, uh, multitude of languages, English, Arabic, uh, Hebrew, French, and Spanish, and a smattering of other languages, often in the same conversation, sometimes in the same sentence. I resonate with that, Hannah, <laughs> in my family background. Hannah's family followed tradition rather than strict adherence to Torah law. I think a lot of listeners can relate to that. And she found herself nevertheless yearning for a more formal Jewish education. By profession, Hannah is a scholar, a teacher, an artist. Uh, she's currently a rabbinical student at AGR, AJR. It's a pluralistic seminary. Um, she's a great storyteller, and which is great for radio as, as, as well. By the way, AJR stands for the Academy uh, for Jewish Religion. Hannah is an ordained Magida Omanit uh, uh, rabbi or scholar through JSE, the Jewish Spirituality Education uh, Institute, uh, scholar, I should say. And she's uh, also uh, taught at uh, Stern uh, University and, uh, and at, the, at, at other uh, programs uh, nationally. Hannah has told stories and developed a variety of educational storytelling and art-based program, programs, both in the United States and Israel. Hannah, welcome for the first time to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. My teacher, Nina Shram, who's a master storyteller, is the one who went to Stern, who teaches at Stern College, not I. Thanks for the correction. Yeah, I was a little bit mush-mouthed on your introduction. I apologize. I, our left, last but definitely not least is a repeat guest on Equal Footing. I love, I said, I said to him on one of our pregame conversations, his ability to speak directly and relatively simply on very complex topics is something that I honor and I think is helpful to listeners, particularly as it relates to distilling complex halachic topics. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. Rabbi Korf the graduate of the Rabbinical College of Greater Miami and the Central Lubavitch Yeshiva in New York. Uh, he's a shliach, an emissary in Hollywood, Florida. He leads his community there as a Chabad emissary, member of the Florida Friends of Lubavitch for over 25 years. And Rabbi Korf is also really a leader in interfaith dialogue and, and accepting, as the Chabad Lubavitch uh, movement is known for, Jews of all stripes, all backgrounds, and as I know from previous conversations with Rabbi Korf, has worked uh, in many occasions uh, with LGBTQ 
members of his, of his congregation, I think has a, a, a nuanced understanding of both traditional uh, orthodox halachic point of view on this issue, as well as being able to balance that with what we do as a community, uh, ideally in, in acceptance and, and love for individuals in any path of life and any lifestyle. Rabbi Korf, welcome again to Equal Footing. Thank you very much. So, guys, I'm going to ask you all to speak up, as I am trying to do, and hopefully listeners are not uh, too challenged by us all being on the telephone, none of us being in the studio tonight. Let's start, guys, by giving listeners what, what one would call the classic Torah view of homosexuality. And this, I think, and Rabbi Korf, I'm going to ask you to, to table set uh, for us and explain the concept of uh, toeva or abomination and how that fits into at least the act of homosexuality. If you could distill for us the, the context of prohibition of homosexual acts um, in the, what I would call the traditional uh, Torah view to get us started. So there are more than one kind of uh, transgression that the Torah calls toeva, which means abomination which represents a, one of the lowest forms, if not the lowest form of transgression that a, that a Jew can commit, according to Torah. Um, and when it comes to the, the uh, homosexuality in particular, there is a stress in the Torah in mentioning it more than once, whereas the other um, prohibited relationships are mentioned altogether as one toeva, as one abomination. It is not so in the case of um, uh, homosexuality, where it is clearly mentioned in particular, making it a very difficult, a very uh, egregious transgression uh, based on Torah, uh, based on the way the Torah puts it. Insofar as to the actual meaning of it, it basically means not to engage in the same sexual act that a man would normally engage in with a woman, where, is, where it is possible to do so with a man, and to do so with a man in that matter would be considered an egregious transgression, which would have, if there was a Jewish court of law in existence, would officially, not that it would happen uh, automatically because it is very difficult, very, very difficult, much more difficult than American courts to ever um, punish anybody with death. But officially, the rule of law would be that somebody who transgresses in this kind of a sin, just as if you would do so in one of the egregious relationships or prohibited relationships that the Torah uh, names in the book of Leviticus, would all have a capital punishment attached to it. Now, let me, let me interrupt you there, because we said at the outset of the program, and this is obvious to all three of you, but there are certain listeners that are probably uh, are hearing even the word halacha for the first time, or you know, uh, Jewish law. There's two sources for Jewish law, right? You have the written uh, Torah, the, the, specifically the, the, the five uh, books, the, the, the Chumash, and you have... The, the broader kind of Tanakh, but you also have the oral uh, Torah, so to speak, uh, of, of rabbinical commentary over the, the millennia. Now, as I, under, as I understand it, uh, Miriam, there from the, from the written Torah, you really only have two lines, 
in Leviticus, Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13, that specifically reference homosexual behavior. There's a lot of commentary in the millennia after, uh, but these, these, these two lines, um, which I will, I will uh, get up here on my screen and read, Levit- Leviticus 18.22, uh, you shall not lie with men as with women, it is an abomination. Um, and Leviticus uh, twenty thirteen. If a man also lies with men, as he lies with a, with with a woman, both of them shall have committed an abomination. And it goes on. Miriam, first of all, do we have that right? Are those the 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 only two lines that refer to this behavior from the written Torah? I, I believe so. I mean, maybe the rabbi can address that more, but I think so. And I think the. Um... There's a, a line in the Torah, like, Masem and the question is the ways of the Egyptians, and what were the ways of the Egyptians? The ways of the Egyptians that you shouldn't go in um, were that men married men and women married women. So that is another reference, but it's not, that's an interpretation of what Masem Israim is. Um, but I want to just dial back for a second, and first of all, I'm just going to say that I don't use the term homosexuality because it, it sort of breaks references back to when um, same-sex relationships were considered a mental illness, and that's the language that was used, you know, in the DSM um, for referring to people who are gay. So I prefer to use LGBTQ, but also because that language separates out this focus on this one act in Vayikra, in Leviticus, and it has nothing to do with somebody being born and knowing from a very young age that they are really different than other people that they know maybe and that they, their feelings evolve differently and they can pray as hard as they want and they can go to therapy as much as they can and nothing will change and they will still be attracted to somebody of the same sex. So I like to just just pull that out right now because in Vayikra, yeah, it's referencing this one act. I actually know gay Orthodox men who do not do that one act as Orthodox Jews. But it's the totality of their being to want to have, you know, a home, a Jewish home, an Orthodox home, and to live with a loving partner. And believe me, all the gay Orthodox Jews that I've worked with, and I've worked with many, many of them, not one single one of them, doesn't feel like they had to reconcile this yeah. this pasuk in Vayikra, particularly the men. With right, the so Miriam, we're, we're, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. We're, we're going to get into more of that next week, and I appreciate the the uh, the reflection on on the language. I'll try to I'll try to to uh, use that language in the context of of the rest of of the show. But I still I want to stick to the halacha. Uh, for, to, for, the, for the moment, I want to I want to zero in on this toeva, this uh, the, the the Hebrew word for abomination, and there are various levels of abomination, as 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 uh, Rabbi Korf referred to. Uh, Hannah, guide us, Hannah Stein, guide us a little bit around this language, because ultimately, in the written Torah, at least, we're relying only on two or three sentences of the entire chumash, the entire. Uh, five books of the Torah um, to it really is the foundational 
piece for all further commentary uh, on this issue. Give us a little bit of education on Toeva. What does that really mean? Where does it come from? How does it compare to other forms of abomination? Thank you very much for that opportunity. Um, the translation of abomination is troubling to me because tr an abomination is an act or an object of extreme dislike or hate. Well, the Torah absolutely does not uh, does not hold with hate or extreme dislike of any person, but perhaps the act. So Ava has its... Let me step back just a moment. Hebrew has a two- or three-letter root system, and other uh, prefixes and suffixes are added or uh, vowels changed in order to subtly change the nuance or use of the word. The word to'ava has as its root saf ein vet, which shares its root with the com concept of something that is lustful, something that is base or um, a hunger that is not elevating. The Torah prohibits that, something that is not elevating, something that is lustful, that is base, coarse. Pasuk also uses the word mishkav. Mishkav is an act without intimacy, an intimate act without intimacy. This is a, a, a violation of the dignity of humanity. This is something that you don't want to have done. The act itself is an ugly act. The attraction, the uh, love, that isn't addressed in these schemes. So before we get, we're going to have to take a break in a moment, come back on this uh, discussion of the, the, the halacha of LGBTQ uh, reality. The, the, we've called the show the halacha of homosexuality, but the, it's, it's the, 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 as it's addressed in, in Jewish law. Now, before, Bob, before we do, I, I just want to help. I hope I can yeah, make we'll, a few comments here because I am uh, sitting here patiently. We'll come back. We're going to come back to you right okay. after the break, and I'd like you to help us understand a little bit better. Yes, I would like that, to do that. that. Yeah, that the the kind of order of sin, so to speak, that Hannah start to uh, started to tease at. I'm joined here um, by three wonderful guests, willing to talk about a a subject that is. Uh, that gets a lot of attention, but I think not enough. We have divergent points of view on halacha itself, on Jewish law, uh, gathered together, talking civilly and respectfully at the same time. Joined by Miriam Kabakov, who is uh, a national leader and uh, co-founder of Eshel, it's an organization that supports LGBTQ plus Orthodox individuals and their families. Hannah Stein, uh, who is a scholar and focuses to some degree on this uh, very issue, the, the core halachic questions around uh, homosexuality, around LGBTQ uh, lifestyle. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, the shliach uh, from Florida, uh, who's helping us understand what I would call the uh, traditional core halachic view 
on this subject. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. We'll give out information how you can participate live. Here we go. America the brave. Still fears what we don't know. And God loves all his children. It's somehow forgotten. But we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. I don't know. And I can't change. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital provides you practically overnight financing, one to two days max for your watch collection or your watch inventory. You can go to the Mechanical Art Capital app, three words, put it in your iPhone or Android device in the app store, Mechanical Art Capital, and you just snap some photographs of your timepieces of your high-end watches, and you download them within a day, you get an appraisal you can use for insurance purposes, and you get an offer for financing. doesn't affect your credit. You don't have to go through a bank line process. The financing costs are very reasonable. The structure involves like a two-page contract, and you can literally get it all done in the same day or maximum one business day to the next. You can also go to the website, mechanicalartcapital.com and get more information. Download the Mechanical Art Capital app or go to the Mechanical Art Capital website and get easy-to-access financing against your watch collection or your watch inventory if you are a dealer. I've been caught All right, you are back on Equal Footing. I am Dove Tuzman, joined by Miriam Kabakov. Miriam, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yeah, that sounds right, Kabakov. That's how I say it. We all say it a little bit differently. <laughs> joined by Miriam Kabakov, Hannah Stein, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, talking about the halacha of gay. Difficult subject. Rabbi Korf, you wanted to say some things before the break. Yeah, um, first of all, uh, let's try to go through this one by one. Um, you were mentioning a few times the fact that it says it only twice, and from this we have a, such a big deal. The truth is that's nothing really out of the norms. Um, you know, the putting on of tefillin is mentioned only a total of four times. Uh, not to have relations with your mother or with your grandmother or with your niece or your daughter is also only mentioned twice. Um, there are things that are in the Torah mentioned only once or twice, um, usually once as a warning. The other is the punishment, and it doesn't make it any less um, egregious or more egregious. The lyric, the fair point. Fair point. In addition to that, the words that it uses in the case of specifically when it comes to homosexual relationships, it says clearly to he. It is an abomination. Now, I want to make it clear, nowhere in the Torah is it saying that the individual is the abomination. Nor am I, or are we here to judge that matter as to whether somebody is an abomination or not? That's not the point here, nor does the Torah say For for listeners that that are not, you know, thinking about halacha every day, maybe even listeners that are Jewish and they're really struggling here, that... What are other examples of things under Jewish law that, that are tueva? Like, we've talked here about... Uh, the, general, the general prohibited relationships 
are all under a, in a an edict of toeva or of abomination. Okay. What about what about, for example, the 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 the, the Jewish person who's keeping kosher and uh, is not eating pig meat? Is 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 eating pig meat toeva? No. The, what what is for the non for the non educated, including me? Well, what's, eating, the, what's the eating pig what's meat the classification? Eating pig meat or non-kosher meat is not toeva. It is forbidden. Eating worms or uh, insects, crawling, creepy crawlies and stuff like that, that is toeva. That is an abomination. So there are things that are abominations to God. What that means exactly, I'm not going to describe, I'm not going to here define specifically what that means to God. It is, however, a word that the Torah uses to underline a clearly egregious and very uh, serious transgression to God. It's a description the Torah uses to try to explain how, di- how terrible this is in God's eyes. And for and for the for the uh, unsophisticated uh, listener, uh, is this the top level, so to speak, of bad? Is there is there is there, is there worse than Toeva? Uh, again, I am I am not really going to comment on that necessarily. It may not be specifically. Toeva is more also for the sake of giving a Jew to understand. That this is to see in general when it comes to matters to sexual relations, the Torah was very, very uh, clear and very uh, um, uh, underlined, stresses very importantly in the various ways that it uh, talks about it in general the importance of fences and bars and and, uh, separations between men and women and an un. Uh, and illicit sexual relations, and so on and so forth, of which there is such a thing when we talk about homosexuality as one of those illicit and uh, um, and and what's considered to God a very serious transgression. Okay. So, Mi- Miriam, may I speak to that for just a moment, please? It's Hannah. Shoot, Hannah. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, in fact, Rabbi, I believe that uh, there are other adjectives that are applied to the other prohibited sexual acts, such as tum'ah uh, bezima, and uh, those are on different scales. Tum'ah is, uh, is, is not as abhorrent as zima or tova, and Zima seems to be more abhorrent in its um, root word than toava. Toava is. I know you keep going back. You keep going back to root words. Um, you, I think, mentioned before, as a matter of fact, for example, that toevad is not so terrible because we tried to combine that with the idea of lust. Toeva has nothing to do with lust. It's not. A, it doesn't share a root word with lust. I think you made a slight mistake in that. Toeva is abomination. Ta'ava, which is tough, aleph, vav, hey, is lust. Two different words, two different roots. They're not the same. Toeva is considered a very egregious description. There is just a verse further than that when it talks about bestiality where it uses the word tevelhu. 
Hevel is also similar a little bit to To'eva, maybe even a worse description, such as what you would call a perversion. So the bottom line let, is... Let me, let, me, let me go to Miriam. I want to, uh, because there's so much we can cover here, I do want to make sure that we recognize that there are some differences in halacha with respect to uh, sex between two men and, and sexual acts between two women. And at Eshel, you work, of course, across the LGBTQ plus community. You work with men, cisgender men and women. Um, Miriam, do you want to elucidate a little bit for us the halachic uh, difference that exists, whether it be clear or nuanced? I mean, my understanding is, like, with men, the, um, the halachic prohibition is about this one sexual act. And for women, it's much more amorphous. And, you know, it says in the rabbinic literature that there are these women, uh, Rambam writes about them, who are called nashim misololot, so women who basically, like, rub against each other. And um, there's different ways to understand, like, who are these women and what are they doing? And basically, one of the end games of this is, is this woman permitted to marry a Kohen? But that's an aside. <laughs> but basically, um, you know, the Ramba, Maimonides, says, you know, there are these women in our community who are misalot with each other, who are doing this, this physical act with each other. And the, the um, punishment is, like, to be to, like, have lashes or something, like, to be whipped. Okay, I don't know if that ever has happened or, you know, like, what his meaning was in that. But basically, like, a slap on the hand, maybe more, a little bit more than the slap on the hand. And don't let your wives be in community with those women. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, I think, that's, you know, what the Rambam is saying about lesbians. You know, that they, well, they exist. Miriam, the, the, the Leviticus, 18, Le, Leviticus 18, 21 yeah. to 1823, the core phrase being from 1822, and Leviticus 2013, both specifically are mandates as it relates to a man lying with a man, as generally interpreted. Um, the, the, I'm just wondering, I'm checking. I'm not saying this is a statement. I'm, there's a question mark at the end of this. And... In, in, in further commentary, in, in, in the Talmud and in, in Midrash, etc., you, uh, you have commentary on um, women uh, in, in sexual acts with other women, but it not, not, from those, not from the original written source. Is that correct? Right. It's not, it's, not, it's not really found. Women's sexual acts with each other are not mentioned or found in the Torah Shabbat the written law. Um, yeah, that's what you're asking. And my understanding is that one of the one of the rabbinical kind of defenses or explanations, probably I should say, of this difference is that, um, amongst others, is that with with men you have the issue of spilling of seed. You have the issue of wasting of semen. Is it? Do I have that correct? That that's kind of one of the pointed to often as a core difference between the two um, gay acts. That's interesting. I don't think that that's talked about when, when this, this toeva is talked about. It's not about onanut, you know, like spilling seed. It's about 
having anal penetration with another man. And um, my colleague, Rabbi Steve Greenberg, has a book about this where he shows how the language is used in other places to reference a violent act against another person. And, mm. you know, um, in Sodom, that is how they demeaned people who they didn't like, that they would rape them, men would rape men. And so, you know, some understand that, that line in Leviticus to refer to a violent act, not about a loving well, relationship. There's so much to unpack here. We're going to take our next break. We're going to come back talking about the halacha of homosexuality. We want to address a little bit the difference that a couple of, of the guests here have referred to already in the program between the act and love, the act and perhaps the desire. And we'll also get into listener comments and questions. If you have a comment or question you'd like to write in, you can text or WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. That's to text in a comment or question to our guests on the Halacha of Homosexuality, 917-428-4062. If you want to call in and be a part of the discussion live, whether you're from the LGBTQ plus community or not, uh, please participate. You can do so uh, anonymously. You don't have to say your name on the air, uh, or you, of course, can do it on an attributed basis. Up to you. The number to call in is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you're calling in, please be patient. We've got Four phone lines in use, which means you only have one free line. So if you're calling, you don't get an answer. Either text your comment or question in or keep calling and be patient. We will be right back on Equal Footing. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I'm Dove Tuzman. You're back on Equal Footing with our guests, Hannah Stein, Miriam Kabakov, and Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, talking about the halacha of LGBTQ plus life. Okay. Uh, we have some interesting questions that have uh, already come in early on the program that from listeners that already knew the number. I'm sure we're going to get, we're going to get more. Before we do that, Hannah, uh, one of the core questions 
that uh, comes up in a halachic discussion on, on this issue, and it's been teased at already, is the difference between the act, so to speak, and the desire. Um, for example, there have been uh, uh, scholars uh, that have, even uh, Haredi scholars who have pointed out that homosexual love, uh, uh, homosexual desire, is nowhere prohibited, that it's the act um, that, is, that is prohibited. And there's the famous uh, um, statement from the Midrash Yalkut Shimoni on, on Baikra 20, on, on Leviticus 20, that says uh, a person should not say, I do not desire pig meat, uh, rather, he should say, "I do desire it, um, but what can what do I do about it? Uh, my Father in heaven commanded me not to partake in it." So there is this distinction between the act and the desire, even the act and 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 love between people of the same gender. Hannah, where do you fall on this? Is this an important distinction, or are we splitting hairs? The entire study of halakha is splitting hairs, but it's an immense distinction. The idea that a person can have desire, or perhaps given your description, should have desire for the other, is something that is engaged in in the concept of humanity, in the idea of free will, the tzelem elokim. When you have the idea that you can but hold yourself back, because it's law, this elevates the acts that you do do in, in honor of those laws. So holding something beautiful in your hand, those laws, the, this, this adherence to a connection with God, is, according to Hillel in the story of Al-Regel uh, Echad, on one foot, uh, would you like me to tell that story? Very briefly. Very briefly, in one moment. Uh, a man wanted to learn all of Torah standing while he was standing on one foot, and the rabbi that could teach him that would benefit from his scholarship. Most rabbis turned him away, one attacked, but Rav Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is all of Torah. Now come and learn. Or rather, he said, go and learn. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's several, uh, several listener references that have kind of touched on this as well. One uh, pointing to the Sanhedrin uh, 44 a, even though a Jew has sinned, they are still called a Jew. Uh, also, another reference to Hillel uh, from Pirkei uh, Avot, you should not separate yourself from, from the community. I don't think any of our guests, uh, Rabbi Kors, I, I would imagine even in the most stringent uh, view or interpretation on this issue, no one would argue that you, um, you know, despise the, the person who has not observe halacha. You don't cast them out of the community. Um, you may despise the lack of observance. You may despise the sin, so to speak, but there's no reasonable halachic basis for despising the sinner. Is that, is that right, just so we can put that issue to rest, or is that itself subject to debate? 
100% right, number one. There's a lot that I really can answer to your to the other guests, which have really been a lot of mixed mix, mishmash, quite frankly, which really don't have anything to do with the matter under discussion, but I don't have the time for that, which I would love to if I could. Um, and you, don't, I, you, don't, you don't have the time for that. But the bottom line is, is to your specific question, you know, there's a statement made by the Balshento, which is our guiding light, that you have to love the wicked person equally as the righteous person. To a Jew, no Jew should be unloved, ever, no matter where or what station they come from or what they do. Rabbi Beruria, one of the greatest women scholars of all time, had to admonish her husband, Rabbi Meir, one of the greatest sages of the Mishnah, that it's not the sinner that you should pray for his death, but rather sin. Pray for the death of sin, not the sinner. So in other words, there is no question that every Jew must be loved. I, I told you personally, maybe, I've had an individual in my shul who was not religious at all. I didn't know he was a homosexual. I found out later, after he was already coming and saying Kaddish for his father for a year, and later on he sent me pictures of a, uh, his uh, gay marriage, whatever. Even when I found out that when he came there, he didn't want to tell me, because obviously he knew I'm not, I'm not going to... Uh, uh, condone that. I don't uh, condone the act. I never said a word to him, and he was equally as welcome even after I knew, and I never even talked about it with him. Never said a word. We continue to treat him in the same way that he was treated even before I knew. In other words, again, the issue is not about the person. It never was. The issue is the act. And the act has to be objectively judged and learned according to Torah and according to Jewish law, and in that there are no variations. There are no leniencies in certain things that the Torah makes clear is not only a sin, but the Torah makes clear the act itself is an abomination. It's not an act of love. And Miriam, I'm sure this... Sorry, Miriam, I'm sure your your clients, or those who go to Eshel, um, for help in navigating the relationship with their families and the relationship with their observant life, um, being someone from who is from the LGBTQ uh, plus community, this must be a, a, a conversation uh, that happens in, in in many many contexts, right? The, the concept yeah. of you know uh, you know love uh, hate the sin love the, uh, love the sinner. How does that resonate with you? Does that give solace? Do you agree? Right. So, so well. I just want to take a step back and say I think that every Orthodox gay Jew struggles with this. And this person didn't tell you, Rabbi, about him, who he really was because he was afraid. And you have confidence, you have people in your life who are not telling you their deepest inner truth of who they are. And so I think we just have to think like the way. Well, you're missing the and part we, where I told you. You hey, Rabbi, hang on a second. Let, let's so, give Miriam the floor for, for, for a moment. Just so let me just say, like, like it says in the Torah, the chai bahem, you have to live according to the mitzvot. Like, you actually have to be able to live. And halakha has often adapted to the realities of, of the time. Like, as we learn more things about what science teaches us or about the realities of the human condition, take, for example, deafness for you know, before you know, in the Talmud, it talks about the, the deaf person, you know, not being able to observe the mitzvot or shouldn't because we, they thought deaf people were imbeciles and they did not have uh, intellectual functioning 
you know, fast forward thousands of years, we know that that's not true. And the halakha has come up to this space with, you know, to, re- to react and to respond to the, under- to the, what we know to be true about the human condition. You and have, in this particular me, case... Excuse me, one second. I have to I correct what you just said now. But yeah, let, let, let's let Miriam finish first, and then and then and then we're dressing the before we our mis- expert. She mistranslated, she misinterpreted a clear halacha in the Talmud, which was incorrect, because the, me- okay. the mention well, that she said about a deaf mute is not what you think a deaf person is. As a matter of fact, Talmud makes it irrespective okay, of I, I, whether the particular translation is correct. I think uh, there, there's still a point no, no, to no, be no, made. Right, Why don't you finish your point? The point the is that the halachas around how deaf people live are different. Wait, Rabbi. Right, I mean, sh- surely we can all agree that the halacha around slavery, at least, would take something less controversial. We, we, right, no, like, no, like, no serious halachic scholar today would would in, would would endorse slavery. So there are other points right there. So go on. Things we know, like for example, infertility. You know, the rabbis really needed to respond to this very modern thing that was happening, where people who were infertile, there were medical interventions that you could take to have a baby. So they have to, like, you know, figure out how holistically these things can, can make it so that for pe- in people's lives that they can actually take advantage of, of the medical interventions. And, you know, the Lubavitch Rabbi, I think, or no, Rabbi Feinstein and the Fatma Rabbi came down on different sides in different kinds of cases of infertility. So they had different opinions. That's fine, but they were responding. So right now, the Rebbeim are, like, lagging behind in response to what we know to be true, that there are people who are born from birth, that they cannot change their attraction, they cannot change the fundamental nature of who they are, and are we going to not accept and love them? Every rabbi says to us, oh, every Jew is accepted and loved, but they want to live legitimate Orthodox lives, they want to have children and raise them Orthodox, and I want to tell you, Rabbi, we're alienating most of those Let, children. Uh, Miriam, your point's taken, and we want to, we're going to talk next week again more about community acceptance involvement. Yeah, we, you know, uh, we're we're going to take a break, and then Rabbi Cork, no, but, wait, hang on, we're gonna, we have to take an ad break, but Rabbi Cork, you've got the floor right when we come back, uh, and I want to, I want to kind of uh, present another way of framing that question to you. Just please uh, hold your thought. We'll come right back on equal footing. We're talking about the halacha of gay, the halacha of LGBTQ+, plus, the halacha of homosexuality. Interesting discussion. Wonderful guests. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical addresses something that's difficult for a lot of couples to discuss. Uh, that's erectile dysfunction. It's not something to be ashamed about. Uh, it's not something that you have to worry about halacha about. Just get simple help. Uh, it, it, there are options out there that don't involve those expensive blue pills that many people cannot take for comorbidity or other reasons. Manhattan Medical provides you a new effective therapy for erectile dysfunction. It's called Gaines Wave. The Gaines Wave therapy is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, and it's painless. 
It has been around for quite a while in Europe and in Canada, has gained ascendance in the United States over the last couple of years. Check it out if you or your loved one is dealing with erectile dysfunction. Manhattan Medical can help. There are no side effects from Gaines Wave Therapy for almost all patients. There are wonderful results, even into the seven, people's 70s and 80s. Gaines Wave Erectile Dysfunction Therapy from Manhattan Medical. Call 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 in numbers 888-332-8739. That's Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. Do something about that. About this. Not a source of shame. Affects more than 60% of men in their lifetime. Call Manhattan Medical, 888-332-8739. You do not have to be in the New York area, Manhattan, anywhere in the United States. You can get a telehealth consult. And if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's erectile dysfunction, gains wave therapy on equal footing, you get a free consultation. That's a $250 value. So call now, 888-332-8739. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on and I've been told. All right, you're back on equal footing. We're talking about the halacha of homosexuality. I think it's great that the three of you uh, can, uh, as guests, can hold different points of view and actually hear each other, listen to each other, even if you don't agree. Rabbi Korf, this uh, issue at least needs to be addressed frontally, and that is this concept of what if, as science indicates now, a sig- not everybody who's engaging in gay acts uh, is, is, is a purely uh, genetic issue, but there's a consensus now in the scientific community that there is a genetic component to this. Now, the question on the table is, does modern halacha kind of need to address the science? If someone is born with that predilection, um, does that matter from a halachic perspective? Uh, what's, your, what's your answer to that, Rabbi? Okay, I'll let me try to be as direct as possible. And again, this is only halacha. It's not personal. And I don't want anybody to take this personal. And we were talking, supposedly, this is supposed to be about halacha. And so I'm going to just stick to that. So first yes. of all, I just want to make it clear that halacha does not conform to society. That's not halacha Judaism. Society must conform to halacha. And if there's a way in halacha to use it in a manner that can make something easier for society, by all means. But never do we abrogate halacha whatsoever in any way. And if we ever want to get into a discussion about that in detail, fine. Insofar as your question, the halacha does not take into account a genetic preference. For example, let me ask you a question. If I had a genetic preference for the other white meat, like pig, would I be allowed to fulfill my desire and eat pig as a Jew and still be considered okay? No, I wouldn't. If I I'm not sure. I, I hear your point, but I'm not sure that's a fair analogy. Logic. Why is that not a fair? Why is that not a fair analogy? It's an analogy in that simply because I think the right analogy would be that if you were, if you're, if genetically you needed to eat uh, pork no, 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 in no, no, order no. to second, give you though, correct nutrients. Genetically, genetically, isn't isn't sex isn't sex though even even halachically something that is 
uh, intrinsically uh, needed. It's acknowledged, right, as, 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 as no, a, as a, a must being, in human a life. Human being, we don't advocate celibacy being, as Jews, do we? That you don't have celibacy as a as a matter of Jewish faith or law, a law, but can it? Can a person live celibate? That's his choice. Everybody, like we said, somebody mentioned before, everybody has a choice. There is the law, and then you have a choice. The law says don't commit murder. Can a psychopath say, but I have a predilection to commit murder, so I'm allowed to commit murder? I mean, really, where does it end and where does it stop that when you're predilected? No, I, I, I hear you. We're, no, no, Anna, but that, but it's, a, it's not no, Hang it's on. Not we have a, we have a li- me. No, it's, it's not about I mean, hearing me. It's about read, how our, that's all it is. Position, position registered, and, I, and you are correct that we're just trying to stick to halacha uh, here. Hannah, there's, a, there's an interesting uh, question that's come in from a uh, from a listener, and there are a bunch of listener comments and questions. I at least want to get to one or two before um, we finish the hour. And um, and this listener, it's a quite a long comment, but basically, I'm 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 summarizing by saying that we're missing a big piece of this, which is the cultural history. Um, and there's a couple of points that are made that are, that are that are worth mentioning and putting to you as to whether they resonate at all. One is that the, the listener points out that there's a reasonable amount of scholarship that the relationship between uh, David and Jonathan um, in the Bible, that, that's King David and his best, best buddy, um, Jonathan. There's the, the, the uh, line from, um, from Samuel 18, the first book of Samuel 18, uh, 1, where David laments and after Jonathan is killed, and he says, I am distressed for thee. My brother Jonathan wasn't his biological brother, but his friend. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Um, that's actually from Second Samuel. There's, there's uh, several references to, uh, and a, a fair bit of, of a fair amount of, of, of scholarly uh, body of work pointing to that relationship as potentially being homoerotic, if not at least homosexual, um, love uh, based. So that's the, the first point that's that's made here. And then the the second point that's made here, which I found fascinating and, and did not come across in any of our pregame research, is that. It's uh, that that it's in the here. Let me just read this uh, directly. Um, in Europe, the church actively perse- persecuted homosexuals, talking about the Christian church. But in the Arab world, homosexuality was tolerated, and the practice of older men having sex with teenagers and boys had been co- had also been common in the Greek and Roman uh, world, and it remained common. The differential between the two cultures found expression in Jewish communities living among them. It's important to note that in European rabbinical writing, there's barely a reference to homosexuality until modern times, while the writings of Jews living in the Arab world for millennia are replete with mentions of the practice. So the point here, I guess, is there's a cultural issue that, um, that makes its way into the oral Torah. So first, have not heard this one before, David and Jonathan, was that a homoerotic relationship? And second, does, this, does, does the cultural history matter when it comes to oral, oral Torah? With regard to David and uh, Jonathan, these two, their, their youthful relationship may well have been attraction, may well have been something of a love affair. I don't know that they would have engaged in acts of homosexuality or not. I, there's a lot of literature out there. Um, and uh, the, there's a lot of literature with a lot of different opinions. I do know that even at the end of David's life, 
he holds on to and keeps mementos from Jonathan, and he mentions him at the end of his life. So there was deep love there with his brother and uh, as his brother, that is to say, or as someone with whom he felt an attraction. There, there are these stories, and uh, they're beautiful. They are an, a way of loving. I know that Jonathan was willing to give up his own life for David in, in the idea that his father, Shaul, was ready to kill anyone who would support David, including his son. So let's go because we're running out of time, and I want to I want to give uh, Miriam a word here. Uh, what about this this issue of uh, the oral Torah being so affected by cultural context uh, as it pertains to homosexuality? Well, I I don't think I can really speak to that except for what I said before that um, not necessarily cultural context, but like hum, human humanity and what we know about humanity now, and I just. Like, yes, halacha is halacha, but it also, why does anyone ask for a psaq? Why does anyone go to a rav and say, I have this problem, it's not driving with what I understand practice to be, and can you help me figure out how to take action halachically? So, Rabbi, I just want to, like, kind of end with, first of all, it's such an honor to be here with you and with you, Hannah, really. And, Dov, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I love having conversations like this. They're very difficult, but it really drives home the importance of our work, I think. If your child, who is, say, 18 years old, getting ready to go on, you know, dates and getting shidduch dates and trying to get married, comes to you and says, I'm really sorry, Dad or Abba, I just, I'm attracted to people of the same gender, and I cannot even imagine in a million years getting married if it's a boy, like, say, to a woman. Would you say to them, I'm sorry, son, you will have to be celibate for the rest of your life? And I just leave you with that question. Are you, are you asking me a halakhic question or a parental question? Well, no, like he's coming to you as a rav and as... So you're asking you know, an emotional question? Father. Emotionally, I would be very... What would you say? Would it could be your child. It could be a congregant. What would you say to that 18-year-old? I would make it very I'm just wondering. What I'll tell you, I'll answer you very clearly. I would make it in a loving and in, way. And in, and and in 30 seconds or less, because we're running out of time. In a loving way, I would make it very clear as a father that I love him no matter what. And I would make that very clear. I would, however, also make clear that there are certain things that I do not accept as a father, because I'm a religious Jew. Therefore, I don't accept uh, desecration of Shabbos in my home. And I don't accept a gay boyfriend or marriage in my home either. So while I love you and while I will always be there for you whenever you need me, I'm sorry I cannot accept your other half because that's not acceptable in Torah, just like desecration of Shabbos and Yom Tov. Right. But would you tell so him he had to We're going to have to, we're gonna have to that's wrap. That's my question. <laughs> Miriam Kavakov, Hannah Stein, Rabbi Joseph Isaacor, thank you for joining us. It's an ongoing discussion, and actually with a listener's comment, listener comments that the Torah pronounces God created humanity in his image, Genesis 127, and it is not good for man to live alone, Genesis 2.18. And that's a listener's response to your question there at the end, Miriam. We'll be back on equal footing. We're going to continue this discussion next week. Thanks for joining, guys. Thank you so much. We will.